I want to see what that dad bod can do out there. Not buying your banjos around the campfire. Shove them up your ass. Well, it is football and other F words. And I'm sure you know what episode this is because it has not been a good weekend for Titans fans. We're brought to you by BroadwaySportsMedia.com. As always, go check us out. We've got a lot of content over there. We've also got a lot of good podcasts. If you listen to our post game after uh, the Titans debacle against the Jets, I was definitely introducing a few podcasts we have out there. So come, come join us for audio, video, written media. We got you. Zach, um, what is more depressing, that the Titans played down to the Jets or that we were without Facebook and Instagram for seven hours? Uh, I would say I, the Titans game would be more depressing. <laughs> if you get if you're boxing me in with those two choices, it would definitely be um, that because I'm I'm not a big Facebook Instagram guy. Not like, like I don't care what my uncle in Sarasota, Florida, is going on a rant about every day. So Facebook is serves no purpose for me. And Instagram is I just look at uh, French Bulldog videos all day. Yeah, there's, I'm not a selfie guy. I don't like my picture being taken. I, I don't like you are a mysterious person, a very mysterious person, but I just don't like, I don't like sharing photos of stuff I'm doing. I feel like it's just a kind of a weird bragging thing or something. So that's, that's Instagram for me, but Facebook is awful to navigate. It's interface is absolutely terrible. I actually don't know why people use it. So, you know what, that was a good thing that it was down other than it made Twitter slow. Right. Yeah. yeah. It made, it made uh Verizon and AT&T act weird. When my wife got home yesterday, none of her, her phone all of a sudden quit working. She can even do Uber eats. And I'm like, I get on my phone and I could do Uber Eats. So I think then at the same time, all this was going on, Apple was doing their usual thing. Oh, we have a new phone. Let us fuck up your phone. <laughs> um, I, we, you know, we got to talk about the Jets and it, it's so disappointing. It's one of those losses that behind the scenes, it made us as a group at Broadway, kind of our extended chat group that we have behind the scenes angry we were like angry at the team we were angry with each other we were arguing over like the the propensity of just how bad the loss was versus individual play i mean it's one of those things to where it made the titans fan base kind of come unglued a little bit and and honestly rightfully so so we're going to try to disseminate through it and pick out i'm not going to sit here and say that we're going to look for positive spots because there weren't a lot but we're going to try to find a way to mitigate through this and, and see what positives you can take out of this moving forward. So well, let me, let me a little peek behind the curtain for everybody. Yeah. Let me tell you how bad this jets loss was. Mike is so close to giving up on the season. Not only is he retired, he may retire a Titans fan. I mean, he was pretty much yesterday talking about this team going seven and 10 and, you know, it's a distinct possibility. And this team sucks. And this team's made me angry. I'm never betting again also than he bets on the Monday night football game. And it, it, it switched our roles because that's typically me, right? Like, I'm typically the emotional overreactor. Yeah. And 
for whatever reason, ever since Mike retired, I have become the sensible one somehow, and I hate it. I hate this timeline. I don't like this being this Zach variant. I prefer to be the guy that can say stuff without repercussions, and then Mike comes in. He's all sensible, sipping his coffee on a podcast, going, hey, man, it's just one loss. It's early in the season, you know. This team is still going to make the playoffs. It's still a good team. Let's everybody calm down. Mike Vrabel is, you know, 120 and 0 coming off a loss to a New York team. He'd come up with some stat like that and just tell everybody that they're stupid for overreacting. And now he's the overreacting one because he was so blindsided by this Jets loss, which if you really started the more you dive into it as the week went on, and then especially when they announced that Julio wasn't going to play. It was a setup for a – it was a bad matchup. And we'll get into the strategy of the coaches and how they caused a big kerfuffle with this whole thing. But I, I do want to say this. I am pissed at this team, and I'm I'm going to probably go into a lot of the stuff that is going to make me sound pissed. I also recognize the season is not over. <laughs> so I think there there is two things you can you – can, there is a middle ground, right? There is a middle ground to be really pissed off at this team annoyed at everything that happened, realized that this was not the team in its full form because there, I think there are more embarrassing losses for this Tennessee Titans franchise under Mike Vrabel than this Jets one, and that the season isn't over and everything could get right, and, ever, and history has shown that this team eventually gets everything right. And, the, and you're right. The season is not over, and then this is the kind of loss that you have to step back and look at it from a multifaceted angle. Something I did not want to do yesterday, and I was, I was, I was definitely buying in to Mike's rage as well. I, I was an early proponent of it. I, I didn't want to go as far as to say the season's over, but I was allowing myself to go down the path of this is the same fucking Titans shit I, I didn't want to deal with and haven't wanted to deal with the last 20 years and all right you know you start to go down that path so I, look I backed off that but I I think that there are chances going forward that the Titans can fix this but I can't sit here and say with a straight face that the problems that caused the Titans to lose to the Jets are not serious, serious issues that I don't know that this team can recover from. So we'll, we'll kind yeah, of there's, get into there's that. definitely a lot of serious issues yeah. with this team, its coordinators, its approach to the game. I, I you know, it's going to sound like I think I think people are going to come off and say that we're we're going to probably the stuff we say sounds like fire everybody. But these are they really are easy things to correct if the the coaching staff are willing to admit mistakes and learn from the past to save the future, right? Like it's up to their willingness to fix some of this stuff, right? I mean, to me, all this stuff is fairly easy, <laughs> like that we're going to talk about. Hey, I had some liquid death this uh, this morning too. If you guys do not know, there is this water in a can called Liquid Death. They have a uh, mineral and uh, still water, and it is actually really, really good. And I do encourage everybody to go to, uh, I think it's Publix or Kroger's that have it. Yeah, I grabbed a case of it as I hold it up for the camera that you all cannot see on a podcast. But um, I tweeted out yesterday that when deciding to consume a can of water, Liquid Death, 
don't rip it open in front of a live mic in a meeting because it sounds like a beer <laughs> or or pistachios don't eat pistachios uh, thankfully i work in an industry where people just laugh and joke it off but i mean it sounded like i cracked a beer at 202 yesterday people had a field day with that eh, there's um, nothing wrong with that offensive Let, let's start with the offensive side of the ball and we'll start with what was good and kind of work our way down um well, that's no surprise, only one thing <laughs> really no surprise exactly the one thing that worked was derrick henry um that's actually going to come back to me as a concern later because i am now starting to think that even though we joke about him being a cyborg and he doesn't have any kind of exhaustion, I mean, they're working the man to death, but he had a good game. You know, he, it did. I mean, he cracked hundred yards again. Um, he was finding running lanes and that was about the only damn thing that O-line did right against the jets was open up run lanes for him. Really not a surprise there, but Zach, I, this is where, this is what's going to trouble me today with recording is that as well as Derek Henry did, why in God's name did this coaching staff keep taking him off the field in third and short, even a third and one situation? That to me just doesn't make any sense. It, 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 Derrick Henry, just his presence in third and short situations to me tells the defense they're either going to run it with Henry or opens up the passing game a little bit more for a short yarded situation. You take him off the field, and I feel like the defense knows exactly what they're doing, which is either throwing a screen or they're probably not going to run it. Yeah, it's it's an odd situation that the Tennessee Titans are in because we saw them this this game was like reverting back to week one for me. I had flashbacks of the Arizona Cardinals through the whole thing, and what's funny is that in week two and week three, they didn't have this issue. They didn't take him off the field as much. He was on the field a lot and they, they play to their strengths. And I'm looking at this team throughout this game and on Sunday evening, Monday night, when I'm reflecting on it, because I refuse to watch football the rest of the weekend. Uh, after that loss, I, I was, was done with football. It was dead to me. Seinfeld's on Netflix. I was just cruising on through Seinfeld. So, um, I, I look at this and I'm I look at this game as everything on defense and everything on offense that you saw that wasn't working was like a worse version of the Arizona Cardinals game. And they took him out and decided to call shotgun play with a center who really hasn't played a lot of center, and that's Aaron Brewer. And he they decide to call a shotgun run play and kick it over Tannehill's head. You have Derrick Henry. Why are you not just lining up? And you Because you're getting push, whether it's up the middle or on the ends uh, around the uh, tackles. Why are you not in an eye formation and giving him fullback? And why not do eye formation with the fullback when you have active on game day two fucking fullbacks and they only played five snaps. Why? Like, the mismanagement of the roster on this day, the the way that they just approached this whole game was just foolish. I don't know if anybody asked them why, hey, why did you have two fullbacks active, and why did they only play five snaps? Seems like a fucking waste. 
Like, maybe drop the fucking. I don't know. I mean, you can hear some people say, uh, I don't know who said it, but someone said fucking Terry um, uh, in one of the press conferences. <laughs> you can hear it right on the mic. I've got to go back and hear yeah. that. So I think I think uh, Titans Film Room has it. Uh, I don't think he released it, but uh, he has the clip. <laughs> but someone goes, fucking Terry. Um, so I don't know. I don't... <laughs> See, I said I wouldn't get as angry because, you know, I was pretty calm, you know, saying, right. hey, you know, chill out, everybody. It's okay. You were the voice but of then, reason yesterday. But, now the I, but this is the problem. I talk about it and yeah. I start dwelling on this stuff and I get angrier and I don't really know where to go. So let's stick with Henry. So I don't understand why they did that. And that goes back to the strategy of the whole game where they're going up against the fourth ranked third down defense, the best red zone defense in the first or uh, the number one play action defense. It's a really good passing defense. They've only allowed one touchdown through the whole thing. When we talked last week, I was under the impression that Julio Jones was going to be playing. And that's all you really needed was one of those wide receivers, either Jones or AJ Brown to play. And this game is totally different, Right you probably convert one or two of those red zone touchdowns and you, you may, you may still end up winning by three. You may end up by touchdown, but that totally changes the game. And all, totally changes the converting those three field goals at the beginning totally changes how the jets approach it. their offense. So Julio Jones or AJ Brown, one of those guys, if not, you know, both that could have played um, could have changed everything. I understand. It's the Jets. It's a, it's a week four game. You can give them the week off if you want. Um, I get it. But if they're not playing and you you look at this Jets defense, you have to just ride Derrick Henry. And I know that was a big thing on Sunday morning that if you, if you give Derrick Henry 31 touches, it's a complete failure. And let me say this. If I have to hear the word or see the word failure again after this past weekend, that's it. I'm done. I'm done talking about it. But if I ever have to hear that F word again, everybody was using it. Get a fucking thesaurus. You guys are writers and media people. You can't come up with a different word. I mean, I saw it everywhere. Like I came up and I have it and I will release it at 3 p.m. today. A list of 101 <laughs> words or phrases you could have used to describe this Titans performance other than than the word that f word so give me a break everybody quit copying each other's homework i mean you guys aren't that good sometimes anyway and you're definitely not that great on a on, on a, during a loss so quit copying everybody's homework and come up with your own words okay anyway just a complete failure to ad lib yeah <laughs> the so i don't understand when you don't have any wide receivers and i was talking about this i believe saturday i don't know if you were in the chat saturday or it may have been friday and i was talking about you have to ride Derrick Henry. These are scrub wide receivers the Tennessee Titans are putting out there. And everybody's like, oh no, you know, th that those Jets pass defense stats are they're 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 a mirage. And I'm thinking, well, you know, sure, they were up against Teddy Bridgewater and you know uh Sam Darnold, but the wide receivers that they were going up against were really good. You have to use Derrick Henry. Now, the play action thing. I don't know where I land on it because they only ran 12 play action plays and they ran a lot of, I think 57 dropbacks, if I'm not mistaken. Um, so only 12 of those were play action. It's the number one play action defense. 
but I feel like you still got to use play action a lot more than what they did. And, and they did in the, the middle two games, right? They only did five in the first week. And then they did uh, over 30% were week two and week three. Then you come back to week four and they're doing the same stuff they did in week one. So I don't understand their approach to not using Derrick Henry more. And I, and I get it. Oh, there's only so much Derrick Henry can do. But, you know, some of those screen passes where Jeremy McNichols was one-on-one with the defensive back and decided to go out of bounds, Derrick Henry probably could have got you a few more yards, maybe even a touchdown. Yeah. You know, I, I, I like that they use Jeremy McNichols, but I think that this was should have been a really big Derrick Henry game. Um, and I understand that there's concern that he's on pace for 521. He was heading into this game, 521 touches. Um, yeah, that's all fine and good. But, I mean, as you can see from this last game, not every game he's going to have a bunch of receptions. And there are going to be other games down the stretch where he doesn't have to have a lot of carries because Darrington Evans will be back. And, you know, that may only be three games with Darrington Evans' health. But I think this was the perfect game to be able to see more Derrick Henry early. And instead, we got more Derrick Henry late when we were behind. And I, I just didn't – I don't agree with the philosophy there from Todd Downey. Well, that concludes the positive portion of our offensive look. We're definitely moving on to the negative and starting with probably the least negative, but still negative, Ryan Tannehill. Um, he, he didn't have a great game. It, 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 now, I say that with a caveat of that he got sacked a lot, and I'm going to touch on my concern with that in just a bit. I don't think all the sacks are on him, but you know he looked panicky in the pocket, uh, indecisive, I think is how Mello described him in his article this week. Uh, I, it's funny cause I'm trying to parse this out correctly without those that are listening saying, Oh, well, these are the same excuses you made for Mariota or the flip side, which is, well, you know, that's the same stuff Mariota was having to deal with and y'all, you know, you wanted him out and now Tannehill's in. Tannehill had his moments where he was not good and he probably caused himself to get sacked a couple of times but this offensive line got him murdered back there. Am I off base with Tannehill's performance? I mean, he was still, you know, he still drove through the end of the game, which you need out of a quarterback. He didn't give up, but he didn't have a great time in the pocket. And some of it was definitely his fault. Yeah. I mean, Tannehill was responsible and he has been all season for some of the sacks that he's taken. I, um, I, I think there's at least, you could probably count two or three sacks that are probably on him out of the many that he's taken that are solely his responsibility. You know, sometimes what people see is that there there's cover people forget there's coverage sacks, right? So there's sacks a quarterback takes because there's nobody open and there's probably, you know, I haven't watched all 22, but I'm going to say there's probably a bunch like that. Um, because I mean, this, this, these wide receivers just, are not great. And, um, and then, you know, there's the O line that, you know, are just allowing two or three people to come through at the same time. I mean, it's ridiculous. 
it, this whole game was ridiculous in this aspect. And, and to specifically talk on Ryan Tannehill, I think, I think he did the best anybody could do in that situation. And it's kind of like the Marcus Ravens game, even though that Tannehill actually put up points where Marcus didn't. And, and I think Marcus got sacked uh, seven or eight times that game too. Um, Tannehill actually put up points and actually the offense was able to move the ball down, down the field. The, the problem with how they approach this Ryan Tannehill thing is, is that I've seen everybody talk about him holding on the ball too long and this and that. And it's just, maybe it is true on like one or two plays, but it's not true for every drop back. It's not true for every sack. And it's just the stats. I mean, it's just facts, numbers. They don't lie. And when you look at his average time from snap to throw on all dropbacks, he, excluding whatever happened last night in the Monday night football game, because those stats aren't out yet at the time of this recording, of, of all the Sunday games, he was six. And for however reason, I didn't watch the Steelers-Packers game, but Ben Roethlisberger got the ball out at 2.05 on average, which is insane the next one is 2.30 which was mac jones who is uh number two on the list so you're talking about a difference between being the sixth fastest and the second fastest of 0.15 seconds he was getting the ball out really fast now the problem was i think with this game is that there were no run lanes and that is what that is a huge difference from what happened in the Colts game when he's got pretty much the same kind of wide receivers out there is that there were no run lanes for him to escape the pocket from. They kept Ryan Tannehill pretty well contained. And let me say this, we'll talk about the Jets defense when it comes to the pressures on the offensive line here in just a second. But I got some inline inside linebacker envy about the Jets. Those inside linebackers were tremendous that whole game and caused a massive problem for everything. And there, there wasn't much he could do. Like it was one of those games, and and I think the majority of fans have come around to the idea that okay, there's really nothing that Ryan Tannehill could do. Could he have thrown it out of bounds? Sure. But what good is throwing it out of bounds on a third down versus taking a sack? Like what would it, I mean, just for punting our punter sucked anyway. <laughs> like, <laughs> like there, there, There's just only so much you could do. And would you rather him throw it out? Of, if, if he threw it out of bounds on third down, that's all anybody else would be talking about. Like it wasn't a no win scenario. Cause if you threw it out of bounds on third down, Everybody's going to be saying, well, why are you throwing it out of bounds? Why are you being Derek Carr? <laughs> like, everybody trashed Derek Carr last year or two years ago for doing the same exact thing. And then the other thing was, we'll just throw it at a wide receiver's feet. By the time he could wind back and probably get the ball going forward or even maybe just on the windup, there was a defender there. There's a good chance you're going to get a strip sack or a fumble. Like, I think... The pe- people think that uh, it's a game of milliseconds, right? People always say it's a game of inches, but it's a game of milliseconds when you're the quarterback because those inside linebackers, those uh, edge defenders and defensive linemen, they are fast. <laughs> I mean, and, and maybe they just had easy pass to Ryan Tannehill, but they're fast. So there's not much he can do, but to protect the ball, and the best way to protect the ball is to – 
instead of trying to wind up to throw it out of bounds or wind up and try to get it somewhere when some of these defenders are just steps away to just take the sack. And he wasn't just trying to take a sack, by the way. He was trying to find someone open, and nobody was open. There is one play where someone was open, and they're NFL open. The problem is, is that Ryan Tannehill does not trust his wide receivers to be NFL wide receivers, and I think we've seen proof of why he, throughout that game, why he had a hard time throwing them in there because they were dropping some easy passes. I mean, NWI dropped one, Josh Reynolds dropped one, Anthony Ferkser got T-Rex arms on one. You know, it was just bad. And listen, like I said, Ryan Tannehill is responsible for his, some of his misfortunes. I think his pocket awareness is a little bit down. The problem is he doesn't have a pocket to maneuver in like he usually does because the offensive line sucks. You brought up wide receivers and tight ends, which is where I'm going next with this. Um, obviously, you, you've kind of gone into depth a little bit about you know Tannehill's problems leading to the fact that he really didn't have any trust anyone trustworthy to throw to. But, I mean, my God, tight end, especially one of those positions. I, I, re- I retweeted something that um, – Justin Gravery tweeted out back in March about um, Jonu leaving and, you know, those fans that say that it's a tight end. Jonu Smith is replaceable, that kind of thing. And, and it's Jonu Smith on uh, – he was on, you know, NFL primetime or whatever they call the show at some point last year doing the whole come on man thing. And so it's him saying that to another thing. But it's basically that, you know, like he he's not easy replaceable. Come on, man. So here it is, proof in the pudding – the tight ends locker room, the tight ends in general for the Titans are not good. And like you said, Ferkser, who we expected to have a bigger role in this game, dropped a crucial pass with T-Rex arms and, and only 23 yards. That's That to me is what starts the really demoralizing part of this loss is nothing out of the wide receivers, almost nothing out of the tight ends and the O-line, which I keep hinting around, we're going to get to in a separate segment. Um, so go, let's go with tight ends. Am I off pace there? Uh, I want to say yes to a certain extent. So like, it's yes and no, you're not off because yes, this team could benefit from better tight end usage, but I think those tight ends are on the roster now that they don't have a Travis Kelsey. They don't even have a really a Johnny Smith. So let's let's just get that right there. And listen, Johnny Smith's not lighting the world on fire over in New England either. So fair enough. But Johnny Smith was very comfortable here, and they knew how to coach him and use him here. So he goes to a new system. Sure, he's going to have some issues. So I still think that Johnny Smith is probably the most important part that they lost of the free agency period. However. I don't understand their obsession with Jeff Swaim at this point in time. And so I think their tight end woes essentially are they're hoisted up on their own petard. Am I using that right? Um, I think so. Yes. I think so. So we're going to go with it. We're going to go with it. <laughs> so Jeff Swaim, he, he, he gives you nothing. He's not a, he's not the blocking tight end that you really thought he was. He is not the pass catching tight end. We we've seen him just drop passes and you know just not really contribute. Now there are times where he has, but it's just because he's the only tight end on the field. The Seattle game 
changed a lot for me. Michael Pruitt, I do not understand, who is a, in my opinion, a marginally superior blocker to Jeff Swain, is a much better pass catcher. And he lit the team on fire in that Seattle game, and they reward him for a team that talks about on-field performances and your performances on the field means so much to us. For a team who says that, they sure don't approve it sometimes. And this is one of those instances. And listen, I say this, and I know I'm going to offend some people. I say this knowing full well that Michael Pruitt is just a guy. But when you have a tight end room filled with a bunch of just a guys, take the best just a guy. And Michael Pruitt is probably right now the hot hand tight end. He's the better blocker. He can also line up in fullback. So you could actually get him out of the fullback and maybe do some motion and stuff like that with him. And he can keep the team honest, right? They they know when Jeff Swaim is, more than likely it's a run. When Anthony Ferkster's the only tight end, they know it's a pass. Michael Pruitt gives you that little bit of flexibility where you can keep them guessing. Tommy Hudson is also getting more comfortable as it goes on, and he can do that. They both had one catch for 14 yards uh, each. And I'm looking at that, and I'm thinking, okay, I don't necessarily – maybe this game you want to target your tight ends more just because of the wide receiver sucking. But I don't necessarily think tight end was going to be a big factor for them. And I, I think they – I think everything that they did in the offseason says – we don't want to be an offense that relies on the tight end. We want to shift away from that. Now, this is maybe not the game that you want to try to do that, but especially when your offensive line's getting beaten, but that's what they chose to do, right? So I think this offense could get away with the tight ends that it has. I just don't think that Jeff Swain needs to be the number one tight end on the depth chart and on snap counts. It needs to be Michael Pruitt at this point because he's earned it. If that's what you truly believe, that your players earn their spots, at this point, I don't care if Michael Pruitt is sitting on the sidelines at practice with a thumb in his mouth, shitting, just shitting his pants. He's better on game day than the rest of these guys. Like, I don't understand. I don't understand their obsession with practice. Give me the guys that can actually play on the game. Game day on Sundays, when the lights are on them, they perform. Who gives a fuck about what they do in practice? Let's move to defense. Um, I, I know collectively there were. And we'll get spots. to the offense. We offensive lines yeah. get its own segment. Everybody yeah, so don't, I just want to let you know. Yeah, don't don't. <laughs> let's, we're not tricking you here. We're going to destroy that offensive line, um, or at least I am. So let's move to defense. Uh, there's some bright spots there, but I got to start with the one that drives me up the wall. It's a little piece that. Robert Greenlaw dropped this morning as well on Broadway um, on Titans news is, you know, Elijah Molden preseason star um, had that great reel uh, against the bucks where, you know, he was doing the, what they call the slip and slide sack. Uh, Vrabel said they were going to get him in where they could uh, depending on the other team's strengths. And then they just, he, he's basically just disappeared. I don't even know where to start with Molden, and but I'm going to start with Molden. <laughs> I, I could start all day long with Molden. Uh, Molden should have been on Jameson Crowder. This was the perfect, in my opinion, the the best slot receiver that they've seen that 
it, when I say best, it matches up best with Elijah Molden. Elijah Molden is not an athletic. He's a technique twitch guy. I mean, he's not very twitchy, but I mean, he's quicker than he's more quick than fast. And but Elijah Molden is physical. He's savvy. He's smart. And this would have been the perfect matchup. Instead, these fucking idiots <laughs> decide, hey, we're going to take Fulton from the outside, put him in the slot more. And we're just going to make two positions, two of our defensive back positions worse. Instead of just having one, maybe worse. And I say maybe because you, you Elijah Moulton could have done some really good things in the slot that would yeah. have prevented some first downs because he's probably a better matchup than on Jameson Crowder than what Christian Fulton was, who's not comfortable in that position. We saw it last year when he played at that position that – he was so-so. And then this year, he's been outstanding on the outside. And they decide, well, Chris Jackson's not playing. Why bother using our third-round pick? Let's just be idiots and put in um, – let Jack Rabbit Jenkins stay on the outside, who has just been a fucking bummer of a player to watch every week. And we'll put Breon Borders on the outside. Like, why not even put Jackrabbit Jenkins on the on the slot? If you're going to move one of the outside guys, put in the older guy who doesn't have to keep up with everybody as fast as he would uh, on the outside. I don't understand the philosophy here. They continue to take square pegs and try to shove them in solid concrete. Like, they never put these defensive players in the best place to succeed. It's like the first three, first two games where they decided, hey, Elijah Molden, who's probably a four, six, four, seven guy on the field, maybe four or five if you were being generous, let's put him up against four, three, four, two people that are way more athletic than him and have way more experience in, at the NFL level. Instead, they put him in a bad position that makes him look bad. And they say that he's basically, he, they don't trust him anymore. Well, you're the reason that that nobody can trust him because you're the reason that that these players are doing everything. That's what this all boils down to on this defense. While Harold Landry looks great, Danico Autry had himself a hell of a game, and I he did some amazing stuff that I never thought that would be possible. I mean, like that, that one play in, I believe, is overtime. I don't think it was fourth quarter. Uh, overtime where he basically forced him to go for the field goal was amazing. What an amazing play by Danico Altery. Fulton on the outside has still looked good, but the way that they just, just continue to mismanage their talent is a huge problem. I do not care that Chris Jackson is out. Oh, Chris Jackson's out. I better put Christian Fulton there. No, you pull in, Elijah Molnar, you pull in Jack Rabbit Jenkins and put them there. You don't take Christian Fulton, your best defensive back, and put him out of position. That is sheer fucking stupidity. And I, I hate it. I, I, I cannot believe that after Fulton was in the slot, three snaps week one, three snaps week two, two snaps week uh, three, they put him in there 18 times. And he got burnt because that's not a position that he's really been practicing and comfortable in because that's not his natural position. His natural position is an outside cornerback. So I don't understand 
anything. I just don't get it. And I think that Elijah Molden should have been in there. But this whole defense, the, the defensive philosophy on this whole thing just reeked of stupidity. Luke Warsham of A to Z, who, you know, we, we've been critical of before, some of the questions he's asked, that kind of thing. I, I really, I got to hand it to the guy for a tweet that he put out yesterday. And it says the following. Mike Vrabel on September 6th, quote, if guys are backing up in the end zone, that would certainly not be anything that we that we coach or backing up and giving a cushion on third and six without some sort of traffic conflict. And he includes three images, Titans yesterday. And what does it show? Guys backing up, cushion, third and short. I, when Luke goes to ask Vrabel about this, uh, yesterday, Monday, um, Vrabel kind of gave him his typical snarky answer really did not answer the question, but definitely threw out there. Oh, well, yeah, I saw your social media basically alluding to the fact I knew you were going to ask me this. Yeah. I know you're going to take things that I say and put it out there on social media as like some kind of gotcha thing. I'm paraphrasing with the gotcha thing, but well, it is a gotcha thing. You fucking moron. That's what I mean. Like th- that's, <laughs> it, it, that's exactly where I'm going with this with you is that, there here is photographic evidence of the team doing what you say they don't do or what you say that you don't coach to do. What, what the fuck are you going to do about this? Are they literally out there doing the exact opposite of what you've coached them to do? Or are they just out there fucking up and you're going to address what is it? And, and this is one of those moments where I know coaches have coaches speak. And, and I know Vrabel is one of the worst at it. Well, I shouldn't say worst, maybe skilled. But I, I would love some sort of glimmer of, of acknowledgement that what is being brought to your attention, if nothing else, look at it and say, you know what, I saw that too. That's something I'm going to address with the team. It could be short and sweet, but it's just something to where you just give some sort of glimmer to the press or the fans that you're not being gaslit. I mean, we're having to deal with that in politics right now. Something happens and you're like, the sky is blue. And someone looks at you and says, it's green. And how dare you say otherwise? I, I, I really liked this by, by Luke. And I'm glad he stuck with it. And he caught heat. He even caught heat from like Will Compton, who said something stupid. And the busting with the boy people went after him. I, I, good on Luke. I just I want to say, if nothing else for the record, good on Luke for not only documenting that and then bringing it up to the coach. Well, the the fact that he said that well we're going to have to get in here and co- and coach them not to do that well you know if if this is the case if if these players are going rogue on your play calls because that's what he's essentially alluding to yes then it's been happening since tw- 2008 <laughs> because this defense <laughs> i feel like has been doing this where they play off for a decade over a decade they've been doing this shit and they've been doing it all the whole time under the Mike Vrabel era. And so you're just now realizing that your players are doing exactly what you coached them not to, or you're, you here's what someone alluded to. Uh, and I'm going to hate to have to give credit to who said this. Um, it was Blaine Bishop. I was in the car yesterday and I caught Blaine Bishop show. But he said that he thinks that Der- uh, that Mike Frabel, and I actually do agree with it. Mike Frabel expects you to re- expects his players to be as smart as he is, and read between the lines of everything that he does. 
And I'm kind of getting the sense it's what he's expecting. He's expecting them. He's expecting to give them a play, and not and them to pick up on the 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 key details. Well, I don't know if anybody, if Mike Vrabel ever went back and watched tape of the defense last year. That didn't work last year. Why is he continuing to think that it works this year? And I I just don't understand how he can continue to throw the players under the bus because to me, this is throwing them under the bus. You're, 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 you're lying first off. Okay. Well, let's all be clear right here. Mike Vrabel's lying saying that this is not how they coach and the players are essentially going rogue. It, it's a lie. So don't believe it. If you, for whatever reason, believe that bullshit, do not believe it. Second, if you're, if you truly if he truly believes this is not how they coach and that these players are going rogue, why aren't you doing it during the game after the first time they do it? It's your job as a coach. Your job as defensive coordinator to make those adjustments say, hey, you, you cannot be doing that on third down. Do not do that or we're going to have to bench you. Seriously, how is he not in someone's face grabbing a face mask and saying, if I see that from your unit again, you're benched? It's because that's because it's how they coach. Like, like, right. You're not fucking fooling anybody. I I don't understand why he's even trying to fool for, for a big guy who speaks about, you know, that he's some, you know, old school kind of guy and blah, blah, blah. blah, He sure can't take responsibility for anything. Like to me, that's when you come out and say, okay, look, we did say that, you know, what would be better? We did say that, but this game, it needed to be a little bit different. We, we felt that we wanted to keep everything in front of us because Zach Wilson, we wanted to force him to dink and dunk, which is a totally dumb strategy, by the way. But if he at least would have said that, that would make much more sense, right? Like you could say, well, this is how we game plan for the week. And we thought this was the best strategy. It didn't work out. We should have made some halftime adjustments, and we didn't. Because essentially, that's – there were – I put out a tweet that said, hey, we're a second half. Titans are a second half team. They'll come out with their halftime adjustments. And they sure as shit didn't on defense. And to me, letting Zach Wilson get into a groove was their biggest mistake. Zach Wilson is a mistake-prone quarterback. He has averaged, I think, at least two interceptions every game. He's averaged to be sacked five times every game heading into this. And they played him like he was Kyler Murray. They let him take the underneath stuff. And they, there was a lot of times where I felt like the, the Titans defensive line had a sack and they hesitated again. It's almost like they were taught again to capture, not kill like they were in week one. It was very reminiscent when they got in the backfield and got into the, the quarterback bubble. And, to me, letting Zach Wilson get into a dink and dunk groove and then get the explosive plays is exactly how they want to play the game. Instead, what you should be doing is making it hard for him to make decisions and get in his face and make him make mistakes. That's what you do to rookie quarterbacks anyway, but that's specifically what you should be doing as Zach Wilson instead of letting him and this offense, which is a West Coast offense, get in a groove. Because what what these teams do on West Coast offense are, and especially when they come from the Shanahan, LaFleur, all the, those trees, is 
they give you certain looks and then they do different plays out of the same look. So if you see a couple of running plays out of one look or a couple of dink and dunks, they're probably going to go show you the same look, then go deep. So if you continually to play the dink and dunk game and then you allow the explosive play, it's just a bad recipe for success. And to me, this whole this whole playing off and letting them get all the underneath stuff, which is, means they're getting first downs because you have Christian Fulton on Jameson Crowder. They're they're keeping the defense on the field longer because you're not getting them off because you're not forcing Zach Wilson to have to make tough decisions. And that is the whole point of playing someone like Zach Wilson. I thought this game would come down to, and I said it numerous times, this defense, this Titans defense, just fully taking advantage of what Zach Wilson does, which is throw interceptions and take sack. And they didn't either. They did get one interception, but they didn't force them into a lot of bad mistakes and bad situations. And that comes down to how this Tennessee Titans team approached the week all week in game planning for this team, which falls onto the staff, which coaches them to be off to play off the uh, the wide receivers. Give me a fucking break that this team, that this coach and staff does not do what they said they do. And let me say this. We saw it last year when injuries started happening in the defensive backs. They said, well, you know, we are having them play back because, you know, we, you know, they're not that great. And sure, Jack Rabbit Jenkins and Brown Borders, not your top two choices for the outside. If you would have been smart and put Christian Fulton, kept him on the outside, you may not have seen that. I just don't understand why on third downs you're not pressing. You're, Danico Autry and Harold Landry were getting pressure. I do not understand why on third and five or third and six, you're not up on the, on the wide receivers, pressing them to allow your – defensive line and outside linebackers a little bit extra time to get there on these crucial third downs or force Zach Wilson to make a mistake. I do not understand it. It is bad coaching. And we have seen good coaching from Shane Bowen this year. This was horrendous coaching. This was week one all over again in my eyes. Are you ready to talk about this offensive line? What a pile of shit. It was offensive. (laughs) It was offensive. It was the worst performance I think I have witnessed since that Baltimore Ravens game. Yeah. The Baltimore Ravens game is, for podcast history here, is the only game that I've left. Now, I noted then on the podcast, and I noted again, I did. I, have to tra- I had to travel the next day early for work. So that was my you know built-in excuse for leaving early. But I willfully left that game early. I left at halftime. I didn't check the score after. I didn't care because I saw how it was going. Um, That is how I felt about this offensive line performance. And this leads into my larger issue and kind of the bulk of my, the bulk of going to be my complaint for the rest of this podcast against the Jets. This offensive line is going to get Tannehill killed. And, And if they get Tannehill injured, this whole thing, it's over. This whole experiment this year is over. And I I don't, this is the one piece of the team that I don't know that there's a quick fix. I don't know how you fix it. I I just, I don't know. I'm, 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 I'm at a loss for how they play. Well, they're at 17 sacks on the season or the offensive line is allowed 17 sacks on the season. And he had, um, 
24 last year. So they're seven sacks away already four weeks into the season from tying what they allowed all year last year. And I got a lot of gripes about this offensive line, but I do want to say one thing about David Questenberry. He had an awful performance, but the same people last week that were taking massage oil and rubbing, rubbing his shoulders, talking about how great he was last week and how he's been so good all year are the same people that are basically just throwing him to the curb and saying that he sucks and he's only here, you know, because there's nobody better. Give me a break. I mean, it was one bad game, a terrible, horrible, awful game. But you're talking about a guy who, before this game, allowed two pressures the whole year. This was the best defense that they faced. And like I said, the inside linebackers were in on it. The defensive line was in on it. The edge rushers were in on it. The Bryce Huff, whoever the hell that is, was in on it. I mean, it was a bad showing. And the um, offensive line just, it was bad. Let's start with Taylor Lewan. He had a bad game. Is it as bad as what was going on on the right side? No. But the problem is, is that he's had a bad game every year, every game this year. Yeah. And he's not what, four games in, Taylor Lewan is not what the Titans need or expect. And this is not what the fans are expecting. And he, he's taking the week off of busting with the boys. I don't know if, if that coincides with, you know, what's been going on uh, on Twitter and online and all this stuff, but he has to get right. And I don't expect all pro Taylor Lewan to show up, but I at least need above average Taylor Lewan. I at least need yeah. pro bowl consideration Taylor Lewan. Like I'll settle for pro bowl Taylor Lewan over all pro Taylor Lewan. Like that's, that's what the Titans need. And that's what we need to see is, him getting back to at least above average because right now he's, he's a below average left tackle. Uh, I, I, you know, that means a, you know, he's maybe the 15th best, you know, left tackle in the league, 16th, 17th. I don't know, but he, he's not a top 10 and we, and we need to see a top 10 Taylor one sooner rather than later. And then you go over to our left guard and center if I have to see Saffold or Ben Jones get injured one more game, I may scream. I mean, these guys are getting injured every game. Uh, I, I may turn I, the TV off. I mean, my God. You know, I've been a big proponent on the chats that Titans don't need to draft a center or a guard. But by God, they may have to at this rate because these guys are probably spending all their time in a cold tub and not being able to do anything because they are just banged up Every game, Saffold specifically, but Ben Jones this year, I think, has been pulled out at least once or twice every game. Like it's it's maddening, and under that's not their fault. You know, Saffold and Ben Jones still played really great games. I don't think either yeah. of them allowed a pressure. Right, out of all the pressures that they have, neither of them allowed one. But my God, these guys have to give us a full one hundred percent snaps at some point, more consistently than what they are. I don't know what's going on with Nate Davis. Nate Davis has been atrocious all year long. He looks like rookie Nate Davis, and that's unfortunate because you're talking about a guy that was an all, all considered very close to being a full-fledged all-pro last year who is just 
he looks lost. I don't know if it's this switch to a five-man protection and he, he he's he's overcompensating because he doesn't trust David Questenberry. I, I don't understand what's going on. And there, there's a good chance that he's just not comfortable. And we'll, we'll talk about the gelling here in a second. And I've already talked about David Questenberry. He allowed 11 pressures, but he only allowed two the whole time before the whole previous three weeks. The thing with this Titans team, and we have seen it every year since I would say probably 2018, is that it takes, for whatever reason, time to gel. And the Tennessee Titans in the offseason mismanaged this whole offensive line, this whole offense, and the reps and who it gave reps to, and how the reps were divvied, and who got to take rest days, and all this stuff. Benton Jones missed a lot of the offseason. Nate Davis missed a lot of the offseason. David Questenberry was in and out at right tackle. Sometimes he wasn't playing. And sometimes it's Kendall Lamb, sometimes Dylan Radens. You know, this whole offensive line ha- has been in and out all offseason and obviously with in and out some of these games too. It takes time to build that trust and that chemistry, unfortunately. And then unfortunately, we're in the fourth straight year that under Vrabel and under Keith Carter and under a new offense and blah, 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 that this is having to happen. It had to happen last year. It had to happen the year before and the year before that because they mismanagement. Look, Dylan Radin should have got the majority of snaps at right tackle. And, and I don't think Dylan Radins would have done anything better than David Questenberry yesterday. But at some point, that was a total mismanagement. And I'm not saying that he would have beat out Questenberry, but at some point you had to pick an offensive line and roll with it. And they didn't. And it's, and they, they are hurting themselves as the season goes. Now I think this will be fixed. Obviously long developing routes aren't helping anybody either. And obviously not keeping a tight end as an actual blocker or running back in as an actual blocker as a sixth or seventh blocker isn't helping either. When your offensive line is getting trashed, you need to call quicker pass plays. When your offensive line is getting trashed, you need to have a tight end, maybe two tight ends to come in and help because they, they're just, there's no time for anybody. You know, this is the first time in the NFL that two brothers have gotten a sack in the same game. So Qu- Quincy Williams and Quinnen Williams. And this is also the first time that four different players got six pressures or more in the same game. So e- this was worse from a statistical standpoint than the Ravens game, even though the offense was able to move the ball from an offensive line perspective. This is worse than the Ravens game because then it was just like one or two people. Now you have four people, you know, doing it. And it was so, so bad. And I'm, I feel so bad for Ryan Tannehill. And I know that this Keith Carter's taking it personally. I know that, uh, I'm sure the offensive line is taking it personally, and I'm sure Ryan Tannehill is pissed because he knows he can't take this all, all year long. He's on pace for like, what, 70-something sacks and breaking the record of taking yeah. those sacks in a season. Like, it's bad. And they have to get that fixed. And if there's anybody that can do it, it is Keith Carter. Now, whether Todd Downing calls the right plays to help out, remains to be seen but also when there's a healthy julio and a healthy aj back that will help too because there'll be less people that can come and you can send us free blitzers on some of these games 
delayed blitzing by the defense is killing this team. Keith Carter should be one of the busiest people this week. If nothing else for two things, he's got two dinners to go to. First thing I would do is take the entire O-line out to dinner, coffee, something, and just say, look straight up. You, you got to do better or you're going to get our quarterback killed. And that's going to be the end of this show for the year. Second is you're exactly right. Keith Carter, I, he's got to sit down with Downing and say, you, you got to, you got to call things to give my O-line a little bit better shot. You got to, if nothing else, you got to call things to try to not get Tannehill killed and work with this O-line a little bit. But your, your, your rant diatribe of truth here leads into my larger point about this game. And here's the stuff I will side with Mike about. Now, again, I'm a preference this by, I do not think the season is over, but I, I really have a hard time with this loss for multiple reasons. A, the Jets defense is better than a lot of people gave them credit for, but this Jets offense scored 20 total points in three games leading into this. The Titans let them dump 27. This is arguably one of the worst teams in the league outside of Jacksonville and the Texans. The Texans look completely hapless, but Jacksonville seems to have just a little bit of life based on Trevor Lawrence because Trevor Lawrence, is he's playing better than Zach Wilson. But I, I have a hard time giving individual accolades to this Titans performance when as a team, they shit the bed. Now I'm going to completely contradict what I just said, and I'm going to take Ryan or not Ryan Tannehill. I'm going to take Derrick Henry, and I'm going to put him in his own little special box, and he's going to sit aside because he's literally the only player that played about without fault. But I, I have a hard time giving this team accolades on the individual basis when when they completely shit the bed against probably one of the worst teams in the league, and these are serious problems. They're serious problems that I don't know that you can fix and have this team make another deep run in the playoffs. This eerily feels like 2020 later in the year where the Titans were real shaky on defense. You're thinking if the offense could just keep outscoring, they'll do fine. They're one and done in the playoffs. Here's the example I'll give. Maybe unfair, but I'm going to make it anyway. Buffalo Bills week one lose to the Steelers, an admittedly very bad Steelers team now, Ben Roethlisberger. They're going to have to send that horse to the glue factory and they may have to do it before the end of the season. But the Bills since then blanked the Dolphins 35 nothing, beat the absolute hell out of the Washington football team, and then blanked the Texans 40 to nothing. This is a team that is not taking weeks off. This is a team that is not playing down to bad opponents. The Buffalo Bills look like the AFC championship slash Super Bowl type contender that a lot of people thought and feared they might be. And I absolutely believe that. The Tennessee Titans don't look anything close to that. Now, yes, they were without their two best wide receivers, but if that's all you can put up on offense, if that's all your team can scramble together to try to staple this shit together against the Jets, what are they going to do in two weeks against the Chiefs? What are they going to do in three weeks against the aforementioned Bills? I I mean, I, I see big problems here. I see big problems, and I feel like Titans fans are very justified in being in full blown freak out mode now. I'm now I don't want to go into the whole talk of who needs to be fired and all that bullshit talk. I don't ever want to hear that at the end of the season. You want to talk about it when people are at home playing golf, fine week four. I'm not talking about firing people, but I am talking about, I, I, I see serious problems with this team that I don't know that they can fix. Well, here's the thing about this Titans team. And it's a, it's a tradition. Unlike any other, they lose to a <laughs> shitty team and then they're going to go out and blank the bills somehow. Right. I mean, right. 
when, when it comes down to it, the, the, they'll they'll somehow overcome all these odds and kind of look, you know, they'll piddle around these next few weeks and then somehow beat the Chiefs and the Bills. <laughs> it's just what they do. And, and, you know, anybody, any team missing its top two wide receivers, I'd say there's probably only like two or three teams. Any team that misses their top two wide receivers in the NFL, the majority, those wide receivers suck. And it's a big blow. I mean, if you really look at it, I mean, are you really going to bet on a team like, you know, Pat with Patrick Mahomes, even as your quarterback, but with that offensive line, no real run game. And let's say it's Miko Hardman and uh, Demarcus Robinson as the only pass catchers. Are, are you really betting on that team to win that game? With, especially with their defense being just as bad as the Tennessee Titans? Probably not like that. I will say there is hope. So we still have yet to see this offense fully healthy and fully ready to go, right? So week one, timing was off because they didn't spend any offseason together. And Taylor one was uh, given thanks to Chandler Jones, who hasn't, I don't think he got a sack this last Sunday, but heading into Sunday, Chandler Jones hasn't had a sack since the Titans game, by the way. Um, so, you know, he's given thanks to Chandler Jones and bending over for him. And then you got week two, A.J. Brown just um, – couldn't get into a rhythm, right? I mean, he had all those drops. Think about all that game would have been totally different without those drops. Week three, AJ Brown didn't play. Julio Jones left in the middle of it. They still overcame, but they were in a groove at that point. This team had a hard time getting in a groove and had some red zone woes where it normally wouldn't. So there is hope. Most teams are going to pin their hopes on two on players like that. So Look at, okay, so if the Vikings didn't have Justin Jefferson and Adam Thielen, they're probably not winning any games. You know, it, it, you can go down the list of teams. The Buffalo Bills, I think, are an exception. I think if Manuel Sanders and Stephon Diggs weren't there, I think Gabriel Davis and Cole Beasley could probably get him through a couple of games. Um, I think the same could be said for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. They're obviously your big contenders, but so are the Chiefs, right? So it matters. But it it shouldn't, and I will say this, at least this Titans team showed life and tried to fight back, unlike fight. when they were losing to the Bengals, who they should have never lost to. And let me say this, this Jets team would have throttled that 2020 Bengals team. They would have destroyed that offensive line and destroyed Joe Burrow, whereas our defense didn't. So I think they would have throttled the Bengals last year. And then... I, I think, you know, back to the Ravens game and, and these other some of these other bad losses where they didn't fight back, at least they showed fight. The problem is they showed fight too late, and the problem is that they probably should have been running hurry up a lot more than what they did throughout the game instead of waiting to, you know, at the very end of the game to run hurry up. I, I think Tannehill in this, in this offensive line would have benefited from a little bit of up-tempo to keep the defense, you know, on the field a little bit more. Let's move on to the Jags game. Um, Jags are 0-4, um, looking a little little helpless. I would say I think they look a little better in some aspects on offense than the Jets do, which, you know, read into that how you will. But still, um, you know, starting the season, they lost in semi-close fashion to the Texans. The Texans have gone on to look pretty bad. They're actually just getting worse by each game. 
um, lose to the Broncos, lose to the Cardinals, lose to the Bengals in a close one. Um, Jacksonville coming off an interesting week with Urban Meyer being a lying piece of shit, which we're going to get to in just a moment. But um, I we need the Titans. The Titans need the Titans to have a bounce back game. They need to come into this game angry. I, I still feel building onto what we said last week and we ultimately ended up being wrong. You look at the Jets and the Jags as tune-ups leading into the Chiefs and the Bills and the harder part of the, the season. I still stand by that. I think the Titans need to take the anger and the embarrassment from last Sunday afternoon and full throttle go at the tight or go at the Jags. Yeah, but will they? I mean, that's that's the right. big thing is that I don't I can't remember a time where the Titans didn't at least keep it close, right? Like they'd never just gone in and blanked a team, you know, like the Bills. The Bills have done it twice this season. That's what we need to see from this Tennessee Titans team versus the Jaguars. And look, I get that Trevor Lawrence looked really good against, um, well, sort of good against the uh, Bengals. He had his best game versus the Bengals. He looked competent. But there is so much going on at Jacksonville this weekend. I mean, we're talking about closed-door meetings that aren't about the Tennessee Titans' preparation for that game. I mean, (laughs) you're you're talking about a lot going on over in the football office. There's a lot going on at certain people's homes, which we'll get to. Um, So when you look at it, again, I think this should be if Julio Jones and A.J. Brown's out. It's going to have to be a Derrick Henry game, right? Like yeah. it, it should, and it should be against the Jaguars of all teams. You're talking about in 10 games, he has a hundred uh, or 1,013 yards. There are some running backs that can play 10 game, uh, 16 games and never get a thousand yards. He's got 10, 10 of them, a thousand yards in 10 games. He's averaging 101.3 yards per game. He's averaging a little bit over one touchdown per game against the, against the uh, Jaguars. This should be that game. If if you don't have your full complement of wide receivers or even half of them. And and look, Josh Reynolds had a good game. Chester Rogers looked okay. They, they're not world beaters, and it, it is the Jags. This Jags defense is not as good as the Jets defense. You're talking about facing like the one of the best pass defenses in the league to uh the third worst defense in terms of passing yards. So you should be able to have a get-right game a lot easier of a get-right game. That should have been a get-right game for the defense, the Jets game. This should be a good get-right game for the offense to build the confidence up. And you got to see them make better personnel decisions, and you have to see this team make better play-calling decisions. And I, I feel like you're stuck with Todd Downing all year. You're not technically stuck with Shane Bowen because you have Jim Schwartz in the wings. But but let me tell this, say this to everybody about this Jim Schwartz thing. The Eagles weren't really crying that Jim Schwartz left. <laughs> the analysts were not crying that Jim Schwartz left and retired. They were real, they were throwing little parties over in Philadelphia. So I don't know because look, this defense hasn't changed, right? It, it kind of looks like the same defense. And who's supposed to be special advisor to the defense is Jim Schwartz. Maybe he's just sitting over there and not saying anything and not giving his input. Maybe they're not listening to him. Good chance of that. But 
I don't think you're, you're going to see a huge defensive turnaround of Jim Schwartz or takeover. So I don't really know if it's worth it in the middle of the season, do a big coaching change and get this a, te- a team with filled with players talking about communication issues last year, get a whole new voice in there. I, d- I don't think that's going to be, I don't think it's going to be the godsend and the savior that everybody makes it out to be. However, the defense, both both sides of the ball have a chance to get right against the Jaguars and to correct mistakes. I, no, there shouldn't be DJ Chart. Um, their running backs, even though James Robinson has looked good these last two weeks, they're still not outstanding running backs. You, you have a chance to face another rookie quarterback and put some pressure in his face and get him to make some dumb decisions. But you have to do it. The, the problem with... Trevor Lawrence is that he can extend plays, I think, a little bit better than Zach Wilson. That Zach Wilson was able to do it because he got to a groove. So you got to keep Trevor Lawrence out of a groove. And I think that if you give the defense enough rest and you let this be a uh, Derrick Henry game, you should be able to win it. Now, if this team puts on a performance like it did Sunday, will they win? Probably not. But it, I do think the Jaguar, in my opinion, the Jaguars are a worse team than the Jets. And, and I think it's because of the Jets' defense. Off, offensively, it's night and day, obviously, because the, the, going into this game, Zach Wilson has, it was one of the worst offenses of all time. So I think that this is a good, this is a good game to have before you go into these next string of games to get right. They, they cannot afford to come out of this game two and three. I don't care how bad the rest of the division is. They cannot afford to come out of this game two and three with the, the, the schedule coming up. They just can't. I agree. There's too I, much uh, going on in Jacksonville to get into Urban Meyer, but there's too much going on in Jacksonville for this team, for this Jacksonville Jaguars team to be focused on a football game. Let's talk about that focus. Because Urban Meyer, his, you know, I, I said before the season started, I didn't think he would make it through year two or that he would quit at the end of year two. I, I'm starting to think that making it through year one is just such a problem for him now. We got to be cracking into the 90% range of him quitting at this point. Um, this, this man is just, he's a disgusting lying asshole. He lies about everything and his ability to stand in front of the press and tell crazy brazen lies never fails to amaze me. And he's doing it yet again. So first and foremost, uh, Jacksonville played and lost on Thursday night. And with urban being close to, uh, Ohio state, and deciding to head back to a restaurant that he has open in the area called Chop House. Uh, there is a video out circulating around of, as the as Sports Illustrated so bravely put it, a dance close to his lap. Good God. Just phrase it what it was. Dude was getting twerked on. And so it's it clearly not his wife. This girl is probably in college. And no sooner than the Ohio State slash Urban Meyer apologist started saying, look, his hands were trying to block her from dancing on him. Somebody released a second video to where he's just credit card swiping her ass crack. I mean, it, 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 he's molesting this chick. It was just all that's happening. 
So in very Urban Meyer fashion, he releases a solemn, humble, woe is me apology on camera, which was almost everything but an apology to the press for being a distraction to the team and then promptly throws his quarterback under the bus by saying, oh, a good example of this is the Trevor Lawrence goes on a bachelor party to Vegas. I told him, hey, you, you watch yourself. These videos get out there. People take it out of context. And then proceeds to throw his own grandchildren under the bus by saying, oh, I stayed in town and had dinner with my grandchildren. And uh, this group of people was at the restaurant next door and they were trying to lure me on the dance floor. And dude, it's just such a shyster. It, it, there's an article out this morning on, on a Substack. It's called rooster.substack.com that completely debunks that lie he just told. First off, his own wife posted pictures of said grandchildren playing in the bathtub or they're doing some sort oh, of so that, that, I thought those were his kids. They're, they're grandchildren. Okay. Understand. And so this is around the time that he said that they were having dinner at the restaurant. Now people have put out other pictures showing that he was at the restaurant by himself with a buddy that this guy, Chris, something who actually owns the restaurant. Chris that Urban Meyer's name is on. Yes. Chris Corso. Essentially long story short, this whole lie he told about he was eating dinner with his grandkids and then this group of people allowed him to come out on the dance floor. It's all bullshit. He apparently showed up to the restaurant at six o'clock already hammered and then proceeded to keep acting like this. I, I love this man. I both love him and hate him. I love him because he's adding further fuel and distraction and a disaster to the one team that I think I despise the most in the NFL. And it also couldn't happen to a nicer guy. By nicer guy, I mean probably the biggest piece of shit in professional sports. Well, let's not forget that just a couple of weeks ago, maybe not even two weeks, Shelly Meyer posted this picture or someone got a hold of this picture where they were having an open house at their house and they had right. a coffee table just filled with pictures of her and him and just the family. I mean, just covered in it. You couldn't even lay a shot glass down on that table without hitting one of those pictures. And, and then people were kind of saying that that was a little bit serial killer esque and seems very fake and everything. And then she gets all up in arms about how, you know, her husband and them, you guys are just jealous. You don't have a relationship like ours. Right. I mean, that's basically what she said. You're jealous that you don't have a relationship like ours. And then, so he, she retweets or quote tweets him out at the thing out the party and she's like yeah i'm out here doing this or that you know taking care of the kids you know she's like you know, meanwhile at home you know i'm you know giving baths to these children and all this stuff and it's just a mess and i don't i don't understand what he was thinking because obviously in a in a world of social media Doing that out in public is always going to backfire when you're a famous person. It's always going to backfire. And you're also in a restaurant with your own name on it, wearing Ohio State, you know, pink pullover. But then, like, apparently she shucks her own corn or goes out into a cornfield or something. I, I, I can't find the tweet about the corn or something, but apparently that's a thing. I don't know. I'm not going to get too big into that. But now that he's lied, right? He's lied. He has gone, and they have had, for the past two days, closed-door meetings. Michael Lombardi, this. yeah, Michael Lombardi uh, reported on this this morning. 
they have oh, hell. past two days closed door meetings with I don't think players are involved, but they're not about the Tennessee Titans. This could get ugly, and he, Michael Lombardi said this could get ugly quick. So this could be the week. I mean, I, I don't know what's going to happen. I'm not predicting that he gets fired. I hope that they don't do that because then there's the new coach bump versus us. Yeah. You don't want the new coach bump heading into a game. And I'm hoping that the Tennessee Titans can destroy Jacksonville and that be the final nail in the coffin. Because you got to remember, this guy was crying, and he's like, I feel so bad for this locker room on Thursday. He was in a tailspin already, an emotional tailspin, because he made the choice to uh, kick the field goal instead of going for it and all this stuff. I mean, he just made horrible choice after horrible choice in that game because he's not a good coach. And so he's already an emotional tailspin, then this happened. So there's just more emotional tailspin, I'm sure, coming in at home. You know, having to explain this to his wife, you know, I'm sure that I don't know if, what this woman who he slid his hand down, what she may be able to do something, you know, legally. I don't know. I, I don't really know all the ins and outs of all that because she, I mean, she looked like she was enjoying it and, and everything, but who knows? You know, there, there are times where women can, there may be a different story that we don't even know about in that situation. What if, the you know, are, they're, terrible. they're terrible. And, it's just funny to me that he got up there at this press conference and straight up lied again. This guy has learned nothing from the debacle in Ohio State, from the uh, hiring the racist strength and conditioning coach. This guy has learned nothing, and he's scum of the earth. I am, but I am so glad he's Jacksonville Jaguars head coach. And I really, really, really hope that the Tennessee Titans get the chance to just pull a Buffalo Bills and destroy them. And he quits after that game or is fired after that game. And th that go going back to our preview of the Jags game, this is to me why it's a must win situation. I'm going to be selfish here. It's not about salvaging the Titans season, which I think they'll be able to do. To me, I, I need the Titans loss to be the reason that Urban Meyer is fired. That will complete the Lord of the Rings saga of this absolute asshole. I think Urban Meyer is one of the worst people in pro sports. I have zero th sympathy for his wife. It is, there is plenty of evidence showing that she colluded with him about covering up these text messages and all that with Zach, you know, Zach Smith. I, I had zero sympathy for this family. So for him to lose to the Titans, it just, this whole situation get worse and him potentially get fired. I I could die a happy man because I think Urban Meyer is one of the worst people in pro sports and I want to see him fail. And I'll just gladly put that out there. Yeah. Oh, it's going to be awesome. <laughs> We've had you for an hour and 20 minutes. We really appreciate you us letting us, you know, go off with you and around you and in your ears. As awful as that says, sounds as soon as I say that out loud. But anyways, we're here. Um, it's football and other efforts. We appreciate you tuning in as always rate review subscribe you know the rant please tell people that you listen to us and let them know if you like it and share it uh, you can find us all at broadwaysportsmedia.com for zach and myself michael hold up real quick before you say the inline don't forget to tune in to check your feed later today for the titans and 10 that will get released at 4 p.m which is going to be reviewing 
all those clips and quotes from the press conferences all this week. So the Titans 10 with Easton Freeze will be on our feed. His feed, his own solo feed will be going up shortly. So we'll be directing you guys to that throughout the week when it's uh, up and running. Beautiful. And with that, you've just been up. A Broadway Sports Media Production.